Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. like I have to preach. There was so much to do about discipleship that just happened in this morning service today. It's exciting. It's awesome stuff. Today I'm going to be doing something that's a little out of my comfort zone. Um, when I normally, yeah, I know, right? It's scary. <laughs> when I speak, I normally stick to one passage. Uh, I, I love just focusing in on a passage and just getting all we can out of it. But today we're going to be skipping around a lot. I'm speaking topically, which I was trying to think back to the last time I did it, and it was a long time ago. So we're going to be skipping around. I have a lot of passages we're going to put up on the screen, some that I'm just going to glance over. Um, so strap on your seatbelt. Get ready for the ride. Today we're talking about discipleship. We're focusing on the core value you see in the, cor- the corner over here, developing authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. This is this is the heartbeat of our church. If you've been here for any period of time, you know that we're all about relational living. We're all about um, coming alongside each other, pushing each other towards Jesus. So I feel privileged that I get to, I get to handle this, this uh, core value here. Um, but in talking with people, and that's in this church, that's another church, that's just in American Christianity, there seems to be some confusion um, about what discipleship is. Um, you know, there's some confusion about how we fit into the body of Christ. That whole 1 Corinthians 12 mentality of, am I the arm? Am I the leg? Uh, what's my purpose? What are my spiritual gifts? But I want to clarify that that's not exactly what we're talking about today. We're not talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about discipleship. It's a spiritual obligation, it's a privilege, it's our mission, it's something that all of us are to do. It's not like I'm gifted with discipleship or that it's the the next stage of Christianity. Once I'm saved, I'm striving to be a disciple. No, once you're saved, you are a disciple. It's an obligation, it's a privilege. We are called not to follow Christ ourselves, but like I said, to shove everybody to follow him too. You guys know what a sheepdog is? Have any of you seen a sheepdog in person or maybe on the internet? So I, I, I was looking up on um, YouTube and there was like this drone, the, the guy flew it really high up in the sky and there was these sheep. You, you, they were just like little white specks. There were thousands upon thousands of sheep. And the shepherd was literally standing in one spot and, and either with his voice or with the whistle, he, he directed all the sheep with just like half a dozen dogs. He would blow the whistle a certain way. They knew to push right. They knew to push left. They knew to push forward. The dogs are going nuts. This is what they live to do. They, they live to, to, to herd sheep in a certain direction. And the shepherd would just literally just stand and casually walk and, and direct the sheep. But when it comes to discipleship, we are the sheepdog. We're shoving people towards Jesus. We're looking to him for our instruction. We're going to him for guidance, for direction, for, you know, what do you want me to do, Jesus? We're going to his word for that. And and we're trying to push others towards him. And that's that's both Christian and non-Christian alike. 
Discipleship is evangelism, and it's, it's what we're doing in this church. It's relational living. It's coming alongside our brothers and sisters in time of need, like, like John Horton just getting hit with leukemia out of the blue, you know? He's not going through that alone. We, as his church family, are there to help support him and point him to Jesus as he's going through this process. If Jesus is the good shepherd, we are the sheepdogs. We are the tools that he uses to point people to him. Discipleship is not simply a program. I know you guys hear that all the time. But our American mentality, we want to put programs on everything. Discipleship is not a program. We, we have programs in place to help facilitate discipleship. But discipleship is something we do individually. So... It's already on the screen, but the one word definition that I think most accurately describes discipleship or being a disciple is simply following Jesus, being a follower. That's what discipleship is all about. It's interesting when you read in the Bible, Jesus was extremely simplistic. Uh, He could explain this extremely confusing concept and put it into a little story that, that the average person could understand. And he was simple when he, when he called people. He would just walk up to him and, and, and say, follow me. That's all he had to say. He said, follow me. Some followed and some didn't. Um, first passage I want to put up on the screen is uh, from Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. This is the story about the rich young ruler. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life, that's a pretty weighty question, right? What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. You know all these things. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. I've done all these things. I'm I'm a pretty good dude. And then Jesus says, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Disheartened. Jesus says, Jesus knew that this guy had something he valued more than following him. He knew he had great possessions. He knew that, that he desired the things that he had more than he desired Jesus. So Jesus, he pointed that out to him. And he said, you know, take this stuff off the shelf. Just follow me. And it's sad, but he left disheartened. He didn't end up following Jesus. Matthew 9, 9 is the account uh, where Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector. And and I love how James hit on this. Tax collectors were despised individuals. So to kind of put this in perspective, um, if the IRS showed up to your house, would you be excited? No. Be freaking out. Like my heart would start to just like thump. Oh no, what did I do? Like I'm not hiding anything, I promise. But Matthew was a tax collector. So to kind of put things in perspective, Israel during this time was under Roman occupation. Rome had come, 
conquered Israel years before, and now they were under Roman rule. They could operate um, within their culture um, and, and practice their faith, but they had to do it as long as it didn't go against Caesar and his rules and laws. That's why when the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, they had to go to Pilate. They had to get permission because the Romans were in charge of stuff like that. So here you have Matthew. He's a guy that went around. He was one of the people. He was a Jew. He went around taking money from people, the tax, to give it to their oppressors, the, the Romans, right? So he wasn't looked at as a, you know, a fun individual to be around. He was despised. He was thought of as a traitor. And what does Matthew 9, 9 say? It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, simply, follow me. And he rose and followed. That's discipleship. That's the initiation of the process. John 1.43 is where, where Jesus calls Philip. Really simple. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And I love that account because when you see the verses following that, Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel and says, hey, you got to check this guy out. You got to come with me. We're following this guy, Jesus. He didn't keep it to himself, but Jesus was very simple. Matthew 4, 19 is where Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these hardened, manly men, these fishermen that spent all day in the scorching heat just casting nets and, and getting smelly fish to sell in the market. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was simple. And we look at the Bible, and, and sometimes we, we disassociate our time period with that time period. But Jesus, Jesus does the same thing in our days that he did back then. We just don't see him in person. He uses the Holy Spirit to call us. I want to read a couple of verses. Uh, Romans 8, looking in verse 29 through 30. Romans 8. I think it'll be on the screen. There we go. Um, verse 29, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then 1 Peter 2, 9, we have been called, and I love this, we have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. Being a disciple, first and foremost, is, is knowing Jesus, is, is following him in his word. Do you find that as a privilege or is that something that you kind of hang on to as, as like fire insurance? I said the prayer. I'm good. I'm just going to live my life now. That's not the life of a disciple. That's a life of somebody that just wants eternal security. That's not following Jesus. It's not simply praying a prayer. I'm going to read a verse um, that I don't actually have to put up on the screen, but it's Matthew chapter 7. Very familiar passage. Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 21 through 23. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is that we follow Jesus. That's why he came. That's why he lived, to give us an example to live by, to be his disciples. And the sad part is, 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then will I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me. Following Jesus isn't simply just saying a prayer and saying I'm good. It's not doing a good deed every once in a while. It's not giving to the church. Those things are incorporated in it, but it's, it's simply just following Jesus. He was very simple. He would go to people and say, follow me. We need to strive to, do, we need to, strive to be with Jesus. Desire his word. Soak in his word. Communicate with him. It's an eternal call, and it's also a daily call, um, as Luke 9 talks about how we need to take up our cross and follow him daily. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime decision. It's, it's, it's you know, making the decision to follow him and continually making that every time we, we wake up in the morning. So discipleship, it starts with following him, and it continues with emulating him. Do you guys know what that word emulating means? You guys use that in your common vernacular? Um, I, I don't typically. Uh, but, but the best way to kind of illustrate, illustrate this was um, when I was a kid, I was seven or eight years old, and I got my first uh, video game console. All right, to kind of date myself, it was a Super Nintendo. So anybody in here remember the Super Nintendo? Yeah. You had the, the, the red cord, the white cord, the yellow cord. You had to put it at the back of the tube TV. Um, and the TV I had had like a, a short circuit or something. I had to prop it up with a book so that it would lean back a little bit or else the screen would stay black. And if you walked too hard in the house, the screen would blip on and off kind of thing. So you had to like be quiet. There was no rage moments or anything like that. Um, but I, there were some games I loved. Super Mario Brothers, man. I remember my eighth birthday was like the coolest birthday of my life. I had this cake. So I had all my friends, my cousins over, and it wasn't like you could have a million controllers. We would play and pass the controller and, and play and pass the controller. We would just like be staring at the screen watching each other. Oh, yeah, do this and like telling each other what to do. Um, but my birthday cake was Mario with his fist in the air on top of Luigi. It was like the coolest thing ever. I was so proud of that birthday cape. You know, for like years after that, they were like, hey, you remember Spencer's eighth birthday? Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Like, I was so proud of that birthday. My parents went all out. But there were some games that I still remember to this day that I loved. I loved the original Star Fox and Super Mario's. And my, I remember my mom bought me this game one Christmas. It, I was really into Power Rangers. I went through that phase where I was really into Power Rangers when they first came out. And my mom got me this Power Ranger game, and I beat it in a day and a half. And she was, so, I, I, I was, I handed to her, I'm like, I beat it, I'm done. Like, <laughs> she was so mad. I remember she wrote a handwritten letter and mailed it to the company saying how frustrated she was that she spent $30 on her game that her son beat in a day and a half. Uh, so, but there's those nostalgic moments where I want to go back and I want to play those old games, right? I want to, you know, whether it was, you know, Super Mario or Star Fox or whatever, there's, there's moments when I was in college that I was like, I really want to play those old games. But it's not like I can just go to Walmart and, and buy a Super Nintendo and some games and controllers. Um, but with the technology we have today, they have what's called emulators, uh, video game emulators. So you can download 
You know, I could download that Power Ranger game emulator onto my computer. It's an exact copy. It's everything that game was. It's just relevant and able to be played on modern technology. We're just talking about 20 years ago um, that this was like a brand new thing. Um, But an emulator is everything that the old game was. Um, It's an exact copy, but the technology is simply compatible and relevant for the times. And for us as Christians, we're to strive to be emulators of Christ. We're to strive to be copies of Jesus relevant to our day and age in which we live. And I don't want to confuse you guys. Um, we shouldn't beat ourselves over the head if we're not an exact copy. It's that key word of striving to be a copy of Jesus. When people look at us, they might not know who we are or who we rep- represent, but they should see Jesus. They should see a copy of our Savior, of the person that we follow. That's what being a disciple is. The definition of of the word in Scripture that we translate as disciple is a devoted follower. It's not just, you know, someone that subscribes to something. It's a devoted follower of a great religious leader or teacher of philosophy. Following Jesus is not equivalent to following someone on Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter. You know, it's not like... If I'm following Jesus, I can go on my news feed and, and, and it's a picture of Jesus with his disciples in the background. Hey, I found this short guy in a tree, told him we're going to eat at his house. Um, hashtag discipleship. Um, that's not what following Jesus is. And it's confusing for our day and age because we follow so many things. We follow so many things. You know, I follow YouTubers. I follow my friends and family on Facebook. You know, you follow people and their funny posts on Snapchat. We view following as in our modern times, but in Scripture, when you followed somebody, when you were someone's disciple, you were all in. You knew exactly what you were getting into. You were... You wanted to learn, you wanted to soak in everything they had to say so that you could one day emulate them and and be an example of what they were. The best example we have in Scripture of somebody before they were saved and after they're saved as a disciple is the Apostle Paul. Paul was an example of a Jewish boy who had left home. We know he lived in, in a city called Tarsus. He left home as a young boy to study the law under a very respected, famous, well-known Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel. And it was, it was an honor. Like, it was like a status symbol. It defined who you were by who you followed. And we see that Paul did all these things. He was very religious before he was saved, but, but he had this, this incredible Jesus moment where Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and, you know, Peter, why are you persecuting me? And he turns his life around. He starts living for Jesus. And everything he was doing as a, as a disciple of Gamaliel and that, that, that Jewish um, culture, he, he ended up using that energy to represent Jesus and to be a disciple of Jesus. It's an honor. It's something that should define you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. Emulate me. Do what I do. I'm a pretty big deal, right? No. He says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. 
Look at me, everybody. Look at me. Look at me as I focus on Christ. That's what he's saying. Be imitators of me. Do what I do because I'm focused on my creator, God. I'm following Jesus with everything I have. That's what discipleship is. That's what emulating Jesus looks like. We're to shove people towards Jesus. If you are striving to emulate Jesus, if we're following and we're striving to emulate Jesus, we will naturally want to share his message. And that's, that's my last point today, is if we're following Jesus, we should be emulating him, which should cause us to share him with others. <clears throat> the English word that we use, discipleship, we don't see that word um, in our English Bibles. It's, it's a word like... Um, can't even think of it. It's a word we use to describe something. So disciple, we've talked about, it's one that follows Jesus. When you add the suffix ship at the end of it, it denotes an act or a skill that we do. So, so being a disciple, what discipleship means is making disciples. It's implied in the definition of discipleship. Being a disciple means we're making disciples. And I'm going to take you to a very familiar passage um, which, to be honest, I, I'm, I worry sometimes when I take people to familiar passages that people just tone it out, that they, that they, they don't see the words on the page because they're like, oh, I've read this a million times. But I want to take you to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. This should be our mantra. This should be something that we strive to do. Matthew chapter 28. starting in verse 18. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain on which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, um, but some doubted. So Jesus gets the disciples together and they meet on this mountain, right? Just this hill. And, And Jesus gets ready to like drop a bomb on them. And Jesus came and said, verse 18, he came and said, I've always just read over those words. Jesus came and said. Do you realize just days before this, Jesus was dead? And the disciples were like all freaking out. Just days before this, before, before his resurrection, he was, he was dead. But we, we worship a living Savior. This is a real person. He lives today. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, pay attention to what I'm about to say. It's like those verily, verily moments where he's like, hey, yo, check it out. All authority in heaven, on earth, everywhere is with you in this moment. Check it out. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He says, go, make disciples. This wasn't, this wasn't like a shock to the disciples. They, the apostles, they had, it wasn't like they didn't know this was coming. You remember Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says, follow me, okay? Be my disciples, and I will make you fishers of men. If you follow me, I will make you a disciple maker. 
I will make you into what I am in a way that you will communicate the message that I have for you. It, it wasn't a shock. So when Jesus gives the Great Commission, the disciples are just like, they're like, oh, so it's our time. This is our moment. They knew Jesus is going to be gone soon. This is our moment to do exactly what he taught us to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. It's not an option. We're to be going fishing for men, fishing for women, fishing for people, saved, unsaved, shoving them towards Jesus. We say in Off the Wall, discipleship is easy, but it's also hard. It's a very simple concept. You know, following Jesus, what does that imply? It implies knowing who he is, knowing his word, talking to him through prayer, and having that relationship. It sounds easy, but we overcomplicate it, right? We make it, we make it hard because we live in a culture where we have pride, um, we have social anxiety, uh, we just want to coast. We have all these things that we place on ourselves, and we lose sight of just what Jesus wants us to do. So I want to end today by giving you um, an example, a very palpable example in our modern world of, of why discipleship actually works when you do it right, why, how it actually works. So I'm going to talk a little bit about communist Russia so communist Russia under um, communism in the 20th century, um, the Soviet Union went through a time where they were pushing for the destruction of religion, like to totally take it out. They wanted to be the definition of truth. They wanted people to follow them wholeheartedly with, with nothing else as an option. And so they sought to destroy religion. The Communist Party destroyed churches. They executed church leaders. Um, it wasn't just Christianity, it was Buddhist temples, it was mosques, anything that represented religion or following anything was destroyed. And all of their leaders were either imprisoned or taken out. And it's estimated, um, I looked this up, it's estimated that just Christian victims, there was 14 to 22 million of them in just communist Russia uh, during that period of time. Okay? And present day, Russia is very spiritually dead. You look on a map of a world and Russia takes up a huge chunk, right? Spiritually, it is a very dead place. It needs Jesus. So now I want to take you to another very large country, another communist culture, China. Under the reign of Mao Zedong in the mid-1900s, him and the Communist Party, they went through a period of time where they started um, this whole communistic mentality, and they they made 10,000 missionaries. All the missionaries in their country, they they sent them home. So whether they were American or German or, or British, whatever. Any missionaries of any religion were sent out of China, and then the persecution started. And it was the same thing that was in Russia. The churches, all the religious places were torn down and all the leaders were taken out. All the leaders were executed or put into um, like concentration camp style, just work camps and forced to do um, labor. But the difference 
in Russia and China is drastic. So China, the church in China under Mao Zedong thrived because the people were empowered and able to disciple others. The church in Russia, the leaders held everything together. They didn't empower the people. They didn't communicate to the people discipleship. Push people towards Jesus. You yourself with other Christians and unsaved. Push yourself. Push people to Jesus. They didn't communicate that, but in China, they did. China um, today has the third highest number of Christians in the world. The third highest. There goes America, then Brazil, then China has the third highest population. And, and that's under communism. That's under religious persecution. It's because they don't have buildings they look to. They don't have leaders they look to. They're a tight-knit relational um, community. You have all these little house churches that you can't keep up with because they just keep popping up everywhere because the believers are shoving people to Jesus. They're sharing life. They're sharing the word. We have missionaries, the Tandons that are in China right now, and they're doing just that. They're encouraging people to keep following Jesus, to implement Jesus into their life. That's why China is such a powerhouse in Christianity. And it's hard for us to, to understand that, but it's projected, and they have these graphs and stuff on the internet. Um, but China has the highest Christian average annual growth rate. All right, that's kind of tongue-twisting, the, the highest average annual growth rate. So China, in, when it comes to um, converts, is growing faster than anybody in the world. And it's not because Christians are having more kids than everybody else. They actually regulate how many kids you can actually have in China. It's because there's converts. There's people sharing their faith and seeing people saved. It's estimated by... 2030, so just 12 years from now, that China, there will be more Christians in China than any other country in the world. And that's under communism. That's under religious persecution. So do you see the contrast between Russia and China? Communism, persecution, one spiritually dead, one very much spiritually alive. And that's because they take to heart this concept of following Jesus, discipleship, pushing people to Jesus, reproducing what they have in their heart in the hearts of others. Discipleship is something we talk about a lot in this church. It's something you can easily become numb to. And I just want us to take a step back from that and revitalize that a little bit. That's why we, we talk about it. That's why we bring it up on an annual basis. Um, and I just want to be real with you guys. I get frustrated with myself and with other Christians because we make up the craziest excuses of why we can't just read the Bible. It's hard. We're busy. We have all this stuff going on. And we, we can't even converse. We can't even be Jesus' disciple if we're not in the Word come up with the craziest excuses. That's spiritual warfare. That's the enemy knowing what can distract us and just putting a bunch of things in our life so that we don't have time for God. I'm, I, I've been there. It's, it's frustrating, though. 
in order to be Jesus' disciple, we have to follow him. And he's not physically here with us in person, but he's given us this word. We're a very literate culture. We can read. Some of us slower or faster than others, but we have his word. Why don't we read it? Why don't we soak it up? Why don't we do everything we can like the disciples to understand what's Jesus talking about? How does Jesus want us to live? It's hard, I get it, but not really. We just see how Jesus interacted with others and we do it. That's what discipleship is. I love Paul and the amazing Christian that he was, this incredible missionary. He even asked people to pray for boldness for him. He wrote the Ephesians, he said, pray that I will have boldness as I communicate Jesus to others. And we see in, in Acts chapter four, the Christians there, they pray for boldness and it's crazy, but, but the ground began to shake and it says they went out boldly taking the good news to people. They prayed. Prayer and, and communing with God is it's, it's paramount when it comes to being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus. And it's not, a, it's not an ornament in our life. It's not a keychain. It should be what defines us, that whole um, discipleship mentality of, of following Jesus with everything we have should define us. So I want to ask you guys today, how are you following Jesus? Are you following him? Are you emulating him? Are you trying to be a copy of who Jesus was? Are you striving for that? And are you sharing that with others? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for this church, this community, the leadership here, the mindset of, of, of relational living, of discipleship, of, of pushing each other and shoving people towards you and getting our attention off ourselves and onto you, Lord. I pray that you will enlighten us, reveal to us what is keeping us from taking those next steps. I know the spiritual warfare is real. I know that uh, we can make excuses all day of why we're not growing. But Lord, I pray that you will reveal those things to us that we can remove, that we can follow you in a more effective, efficient way. I love this church. I love the people in this church, Lord. Um, I love the heart. I just want to see what we can do as we take steps forward to you. We love you in your name. Amen. All right.